put on a sweater this morning. Anybody else? I can't really see. Yeah? It's off now, though, right? I'm, I'm so happy. Let's all wear sweaters next week, okay? We'll put it down to like 60 degrees in here. We'll make it feel like fall in here. Well, welcome. My name is Melody, and I'm one of the pastors here this morning. Well, I'm one of the pastors here, not just this morning. I have a job still, right? We still have jobs. Okay, good. Hopefully. <laughs> anyway, uh, thank you for being here. Uh, we are excited to spend this cooler day with you and happy to see you all. Um, if you are visiting us for the first time this morning or you visit us a couple times, we'd love to grab a connect card from you so that we can connect with you and just kind of get to know you a little bit and say hello. And um, Josh and I will be under the easy ups later on after service, so uh, we will connect with you there. Um, I left all my props there, Joshua, son, because this is, this is big Joshua Ryan, raise your hand, and that's little Joshua Ryan, raise your hand. They have the same name, so when I say Joshua Ryan, it's the same guy, but my Joshua, can you bring those up to me? Thank you, bud. Look at my, look at my 12-year-old who's a big guy who's probably hating every moment of this very second. That's okay. Um, We did physicals this week, and he's like in the 95th percentile. He's like off the charts on uh, height. So I'm like, could you stop, though, because I can't keep up with your shoes and your shorts and your shirt. Just like chill for a little bit. Um, Anyway, so I just want to let you know, again, all the things that you probably know, you've heard already. But I have a big stack of calendars here to give to all the ladies in the room who uh, our next, uh, our first actually fall event is next Monday. So save the date, mark your calendar. It's going to be right here at New Song. Next Monday is our first fall meeting, and we have a meeting once a month, and all the dates are right here until next June. So if you say to me, oh, when's the date? I'm going to give you a little smirk and say, you have a calendar, or I'll say, here's a calendar. So make sure you pick one up for those. And then also our um, Moms Connection, there's a a program offered for moms, also kicks off this week. So there's a big stack of calendars. And if you don't come to one of these, maybe you can take one to a neighbor or to a friend or to a coworker, whatever it is. Um, Everyone is welcome. So please uh, make sure to save the dates for those things. Um, We ask for pantry donations, Um, and I just want to tell you guys, you know, again, sometimes the unseen, uh, I get to hear the stories, but uh, you don't get to hear them all the time, and and, um, last week we had someone who uh, was actually a volunteer for the pantry, who's um, uh, a member of our church, and she came to volunteer, and at the end of the night we had um, extra little pies. They actually looked really good. I was really sad we didn't get one, but it was like a chocolate chip cookie pie. Sounds delicious, right? And she said that the next day she had someone just show up at her door and she just needed to talk. And she's like, I had, I had the cookie pie. I had coffee that you gave me. So it was just what I needed. So it's so interesting because the pantry, this weekend we asked for beans. I said, beans, beans, beans. How many beans can you bring me? Um... It's always what we need when we need it. So thank you for your continued donations to the pantry and to serve also, to show up and do that. Um, So just a little bit of story behind the ask, right? So just just to share with you that. 
this week we're going to hear from Pastor Josh Koya, who's going to bring us the message today on Psalm 86. And next week we are wrapping up our series on the Psalms, the Summer in the Psalms series. Have you guys enjoyed that? It's been really cool, right? Um, next week you're going to have the three of us up here sharing with you a wrap-up uh, sermon. So that will be interesting because one of mine was titled The Hobby Lobby Way. One of yours was titled, give me a cool title, I can't even think right now. You don't even remember. And Grant is just Grant, right? So to get us all up here, the three of us together, is, is probably going to be quite the, quite the sight. So come next week as we wrap up our series. And then the Sunday after that, we're going to jump into um, the Why Do We series. Now, before we started Summer in the Psalms, we did Why Do We Pray? Why Do We Serve? Why Do We Give? Why Do We Sing? Well, those are all great things, right? Well, now we're going to talk about, is the slide up there? Why do we hide? Why do we divide? Why do we pick a side? So a little bit more, you know, it's things we do, but that we may not necessarily talk about a lot. So we're going to go ahead and talk about them because that's what we do here. So I invite you to get ready for that series and just um, come with an open heart and just what Jesus might um, be saying to you. So um, again, if you're here today, I'm just so glad that you're here today. That last song that we sang, you know, the overwhelming love of Christ, it will chase me down. It'll find me. It'll chase me. So Whatever reason you're here today, whether you wanted to come or not, or whether you're here just because that's what you do, you are here, and this is where God wants you to be today, and I'm so grateful for that today. So would you pray with me as we bless uh, our service and bless Josh as he comes up? Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this day. Thank you that we are able to um, just be together. God, we pray for Grant as he will be traveling in the next few days home. We pray for safe travels. We pray for his family that he um, will be saying goodbye to for now, Lord. Lord, I pray for Josh in this moment. I pray that um, his words be your words, that his words be, um, God, that he would just bring the message that uh, you have prepared in his heart. God, thank you that we get to hear from uh, just different perspectives and different, um, different eyes and different uh, mouths, just the way we say things, Lord. Lord, I pray a special blessing on Josh this morning. Would you be with him, and would we be ready to hear from you? In Jesus' name, amen. Here we go. It sounds so scary. Goodness gracious. All right. That's fine. Good morning, guys. How you doing? As Melody said, my name's Josh. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm, as she was talking, uh, I just realized I was sitting there and I really, something she said was true. I'm just very thankful to be here. I think at times uh, for me with like three kiddos and work and all that different stuff that uh, I, I need to force myself to take times to be thankful because otherwise I'm just moving on to the next thing. So thank you for praying for me, Melody. That's always moving. Um, <laughs> thank you for praying for me because it was just one of those things I needed to pause and just really realize how grateful I am to be here with you guys and to worship with you guys today. Um, we're gonna be in Psalm 86. Uh, as Melody said, we are wrapping up. This is the last Psalm we're gonna be going through. Um, I've really enjoyed this series. Uh, I've enjoyed it because it's been a stretch for me. Uh, the Psalms are just different. 
And because of that, I've had to learn some things and, and approach things a little bit differently. The Psalms work, I think, in a way that is a little bit different than my mind initially works when I enter into Scripture. Usually my mind works really well in an epistle. Okay, where is this from? What's the background? What's Paul saying? What's the context? And all that. And then the Psalms, you jump in, it's just like emotion. And here it is, and it's just out there. And so because the Psalms are like that, we need to approach them differently and, and deal with them a little bit differently. And that's really been a growing area for me. One of the things we've seen as we've went through the Psalms is that there is this uh, overwhelming theme of just being transparent, being real, being raw with God. And today we're gonna go through Psalm 86, and it says probably in your Bible right at the top that this is a prayer of David. And in the psalm, we once again see this raw authenticity of David in the psalm. But what I would like to encourage us before we even jump in and start reading is could I encourage and maybe even focus you not on listening to what David is saying or or how he's saying it or the structure of what's going on, but to, to remind ourselves, and I have to do this all the time, this is why I'm saying it, remind ourselves that scripture isn't actually about us. Scripture isn't about David in the situation, but it's actually about revealing the character of God. And I think that's really important, and it's not that there isn't beneficial things we can see and emulate in Scripture, but as we enter it in, if you could just receive this passage, instead of looking at a list of things that you could do or comparing or any of those things we naturally do, that we might just seek out different aspects of who God is in this. So I'm gonna read the passage, and I did this last time. Um, I'm not gonna read it as dramatically as I did last time, but I asked you guys to um, not read along. I'm gonna go back through the whole passage as we work through it, so you can follow along in your Bible at that point. But I'm just asking you right now, just receive this. Listen, if it helps to close your eyes, you can do that. Just listen to this prayer of David. Psalm 86, starting in verse one, it says, incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Preserve my life, for I am godly. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you do I cry all the day. Gladden the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving and abundant and steadfast love to all who call upon you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my plea for grace. In the day of my trouble, I call upon you, for you answer me. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name, for you are great and do wonderful things. You alone are God. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord, my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever." For great is your steadfast love towards me. You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. Oh God, insolent men have risen up against me. A band of ruthless men seek my life and they do not set you before them. But you, oh God, are you are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Turn to me and be gracious to me. Give your strength to your servant 
and save the son of your maidservant. Show me a sign of your favor that those who hate me may see and be put to shame because you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. This is a prayer of David, and I think as I read that, and I I wanted you just to receive it, one of the first things that we do when we do that is that we uh, experience what's being said. And and one of the things we experience is just how eloquent a lot of this is, right? Maybe even language and it's formatted in a way that we, we aren't used to, and honestly, if we could read this in Hebrew to you, it'd be even more beautiful because there's intentionality in the, in the meter and the type of words that were used and how it rhymes. And, and so all that comes together. And I think it's a, a personification of what I'm kind of warning against. That our, fir, our mind first thing goes to, wow, how amazing is that? Because the next step is, and I think some of you might have experienced this, that you were asked to pray maybe in a group and you're like, oh, I can't, I can't do that. I, I'm not, I don't know the words to say, right? And, and in your heart, you just feel like you aren't eloquent enough or you don't know the right words or it might not, uh, it, it would make you uncomfortable because you've heard other people pray. And we have this inclination to compare and, and to, to match things up. But today, again, if we could separate that and we could see what this is saying about God. The first four verses say, incline your ear, O Lord, uh, incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Preserve my life, for I am godly. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you do I cry all the day. Gladden the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. David, I think, I don't know, but I feel like David was like an aggressive dude. Because everything that he does is like just really intense. We see this at the beginning of this passage and you see that he's not like doing the whole, hey God, if it's your will, would you mind like, you know, request type prayer? He's like, incline your ear, preserve my life, be gracious, gladden the soul, right? He's commanding God to do these things. And more than that, what comes right after he gives those commands is he makes statements of what he's bringing to the table, Now, this first one feels very Christian, feels very religious, right? Because I'm poor and needy, so there's this humility that comes. But then the next one is like, for I'm godly, right? And it's like, so so do this because I'm this. And then he goes on to say, do this because I've done this. Do this because I've done this. And and we see this intensity in which he talks. And and for some of us, we're like, David, chill. Like, I don't know if you can talk to God like that, you know? And it feels a little bit weird, but one of the things that, that rose to the surface for me is it seems like there's a familiarity in between David and God. It's like that friend that you have that you have no pretense for, right? You're hanging out with your friend and you don't have to guard your language. You can kind of say whatever you want because you know they know you so deeply that they won't think of you differently. And there's a freedom that you feel in that to just be authentic and be there in the moment. I see that in this passage. But again, we're looking at, okay, where is this coming from? What is the source of that? Verse five says, for you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon your name. So we have this, we have a piece of this answer. Because we look at that and, and for some of you, you might be like, oh man, I wish I had a relationship with God like that. I wish I could be in the presence of God with just such almost reckless abandon, right? Just real honesty, I wish I could do that. And I wanna pause us because because when we think that, for one, you have more access than David had. 
that David never entered the Holy of Holies. He wasn't a high priest. He never got to do that. But scripture says, and I repeat this a lot, but it's because it's that important that when Jesus breathed his last breath, the curtain torn in half from top to bottom. The presence of God exists within his spirit, within us, residing in you right now, residing in me as I speak. That when we, on the front of our um, mission statement, to be transformed by the Holy Spirit, we believe that. We believe it's something that's working and happening daily. And so we look at that and we're like, we don't have access. We, 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 we compare ourselves and say, man, if we just had that type of access. The other thing that I wanna encourage us is that it's not actually about what we do or how we do it. But because God is who he is, and here it says steadfast, consistent, we get to be who we are. And this is the foundation we're gonna build on. Because God is who he is, David can be bold in his uh, uh, pro proclamations to him. David can be bold in how he views himself as he's in the presence of God. Not because David has more faith, not because he's better at things, not because he memorized more verses, but because of who God is. He experienced that and he gets to be and function in a way that is different. Verse seven says, in the day of my trouble, I call upon you for you, oh, sorry, verse six. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my plea for grace. In the day of my trouble, I call upon you for you answer me. Once again, we have this request, right? So he, has, he said, God, do this. And then again, he says what he does, right? I call upon you. But this one adds a third part that gives us context. And he says, in the day of my trouble, I call upon you for you answer me. See, David is acting in this way. David is, is proclaiming things in this way because God answers him. He's saying it's coming out of an abundance of this relationship that he has with God, this faith that he has that God is gonna be who he says he is, no matter what. So the origin of this faith, the origin of his actions, the origin of um, this king who is a man who followed after God's own heart is actually based in what God has done because God is consistent. How many of you, when you came in today, sat down in a chair or a stool? None of you, good, nice, audience participation. Uh, most of you, I'll just answer it for you. Sorry, that was a leading question. All of you came in and sat down today, good, good. We'll move forward, now we can be together and united. Um, yes, you came in and sat in a chair and, and my, my, my my thought is when you sat in that chair, most of you didn't sit down with like 5% of your weight and then slowly kind of add to it and add it and add until you realized it was gonna hold you and then you like sat down, right? Most of you didn't do that. You really boldly just kind of plopped down on that chair when you came in. You just sat right down. And for some of you, you never sat in the chair that you're sitting in right now. Some of you, you've sat in that chair a million times, but some of you have never sat in the chair that you're sitting in right now. Some of you have never been in this room or tested or know the stability of these chairs, yet you boldly, maybe even recklessly, just plopped your body down on the chair. Why'd you do it? What are you doing? That seems very, like, unsafe. But it's not, and why isn't it? Because a chair is a chair. It is consistent. In the same way, we see this with God. 
Because a chair is always a chair, that you can live a life and boldly plop yourself on other chairs. The, the reality and the consistency of this thing in our world, it sounds so stupid and weird, but uh, it changes how we act. It changes what we do and how much more for God. This is what we're talking about here, that, that sometimes we can compare and think we need to achieve certain things or David's different because he was just like built different, right? That's not at all the case. We see this outflow of authenticity and love and, and, and leadership that comes because God is always who God is. Goes on to say, there is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. There is none like you among the gods. See, if, if there were multiple gods, like if there was like the God of the sun and like, like Poseidon, right? And say those gods existed, then, then there is, there's some things that are alike, right? No matter what, there's some sort of comparison you can make if there's multiple gods. There's something, and, and for us as we are mortals and we're worshiping God, for me, if I was in Missouri, I don't really care about Poseidon, right? It's not bothering me, he's way far away. Like, it doesn't affect my life, right? So depending on what the God's in charge of, it really doesn't affect us much. But there's a thing in your blurb, I think it might even be um, in the blurb in your worship guide or in the weekly update that you get that, that talked about the Shema. And the Shema is this, it's, it's this, it's this prayer, the most used and spoken prayer in all of Judaism. And it's, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And think about that. The nation of Israel that experienced slavery, that experienced 40 years just bounding about in the desert, that Jewish people even in recent history that have went through the most horrific things ever, over and over this people group center themselves on this prayer that proclaims what? It proclaims that God is one. That when they're experiencing the most horrific things in the world, that the thing that they rely on, the thing that they go back to is not their circumstance, not that things are different, none of that. The thing that they hold to is the truth that God is and always will be consistent. And that's what they do. And that's where they pray. It goes on to say that nations you have made shall come and worship before you. And this is what we're talking about. My desire through this is that we might see and we might live lives that, that are more defined by, less defined by actions that are obligated by our religion and more defined by responses to who God is. And that is the definition of worship. That we worship God because we're responding to him. Because our faith can really be, we can kind of miss it and we can get wrapped up in our faith on, uh, it means doing good or doing the right thing. It's even on our mission statement right there, right? Do good. If, it was, if that existed and the other stuff didn't exist before it, we'd be getting it wrong as a church. Because the point isn't to do good. The point isn't just have good actions. The point that we believe as a church is that those good actions come from an outflow and a response of a creator and a savior that we have experienced and continue to experience. That's what do good is. That's what we're called to. That's what worship is. In verse 10, it says, for you are great and do wonderful things. You alone are God. Oh, sorry, nine. I keep skipping. Uh, no, that's right, 11. Teach me your way, O Lord. 
that, you, that I may walk in truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. For great is your steadfast, there's that word again, steadfast love toward me that you have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. Some of you are sitting in this room and it feels like this, so I wanna address it. It feels like, it feels like Josh, it seems like you're saying that, that my discipline and my diligence and my intentionality with my faith in, in doing the right thing and pursuing God and studying scripture and apologetics and reading, that it's pointless or unnecessary. And in no way am I saying that. In the midst of this, you see David, the next thing that he says is, teach me your way, O Lord. Because David knows that as he pursues God, the more things that he knows about the character of God, the more that's gonna affect how he exists in this world, the more that's gonna affect how he responds to that. And so he's leaning into that. So it's a beautiful thing that you do that and you've invested in that. What I'm calling you to today is just to consider and think about the fact that, because we can get lost in this, right? We can do things for the thing's sake to remind yourself of where that came from because you invested that time and that effort and all those things in your faith, not because it was the right thing to do, not out of obligation to religion, but you did all that as a response to your savior as a response to the one who made you in his image. And that's beautiful and wonderful. So it's good, it's good to pursue God in that way. And I love that it goes back to the steadfast thing, that, that when, he's, when he's talking about this process, he circles back around to the fact that God is consistent, that you have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. My soul was broken and hurting and you delivered me. What David goes back over and over is he's just proclaiming things that he's experienced. It says that God is unique, but before in the passage too, it said that his works were unique, right? So that means that, that if God is, is unique and individual, then his works when experienced in this world stand apart from everything else in this world. Because nothing in this world that was created by man can stand up to what God does. And it's those things that David relies on. It's those things that David goes back to. Not that he's well-versed, not that he has a vibrant prayer life and he's figured this out. He goes back to truths about who God is and responds from that. Verse 14, these last couple of verses, last four verses, we're gonna break up a little bit. God, oh God, insolent men have risen up against me. A band of ruthless men seek my life that they do not set you before them. But you, O oh Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. David, um, even you, for you, you experience pain. Uh, you experience suffering, fear, an unknown prognosis, waiting, isolation, anxiety. Yet, God is good, God is present, and God is powerful. That's tension. I need it to be realized that that isn't just as easy as me saying God is good and it fixes everything. That's tension, right? 
I feel anxious and I feel isolated. Last couple of weeks, I've felt a lot of this stuff. Yet I believe God is present. That's tension, right? It's not as easy as I just say, oh God, you're present and I don't experience anxiety or isolation anymore, right? This is tension. And I love that David brings this into the conversation. Because he has real trouble sitting right outside his gate. People who want to take his life from him cause him tangible pain and suffering. And, and, and he's experiencing that. And that's real and it's present. And his response to it is in verse 15. But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast, again, consistent, steadfast love and faithfulness. What this means is that when you're sitting in that tension, when you're experiencing, because we're in this fallen world and, and, and people are people and sometimes out of their hurt, right, hurt people hurt people and we experience that and we deal with the ramifications of those things. When you're sitting in that, when the Israelites have went through terrible things, what this is saying is that when you're experiencing those things, that there's something that is beyond that. There's something that actually is not affected by what you're experiencing, in the same way we look at David and we're kind of frustrated with how he's talking to God. Like, it's almost like, hey, God, do this for me because I do these things for you. But we think that way sometimes, don't we? But a lot of the times I think we think of it in the negative. Oh, God's probably not listening to me because, I mean, when was the last time I prayed? When was the last time I read my Bible? When was the last time I approached him? Why would he, why would he listen as I come to him now? That when we're sitting in the darkness and we look up and we realize no matter what we do, no matter what happens, that God will always be God. It's in that moment when we're sitting in that tension that we can look up and we can experience joy and peace in the midst of our turmoil. Not because we've, we have enough faith, not because we have enough verses in the back of our mind, we don't experience pain anymore, but because God is God and that's it. And it's something we need to remind ourselves of. Verse 16 says, turn to me and be gracious to me. Give your strength to your servant and save the son of your maidservant. Show me a sign of favor that those who hate me may see and be put to shame because you, Lord, have helped me and comfort me. What David's saying here is, is there's really true thing. In the epistles, it talks a lot about how there's powers and principalities. There is there is intentional forces that are looking to destroy what God created to be beautiful. That's not made up, it's not hocus pocus, it's, it's just the reality. It's looking to destroy what God made beautiful. And the apex of God, God's creation is you. You were made in his image. There's nothing more that those forces wanna do to, than to erode and, and eradicate and get rid of the beautiful way you were created by God. And that comes through mental health, that comes through feeling isolated, that comes through so many different things. And what David is asking for right now is not to fix it, not to take it away, but that God would put those forces to shame. Because as you're sitting in those attacks, as you're feeling all the weight of all of those things in your heart and in your life, that you have a resounding peace about you. 
that you have a hope that is beyond your circumstance. That even though you're still being attacked and still feeling the assailment of all these crazy things that are happening in life, that, that you feel this peace that you will not be overcome because God is God. There's no more putting to shame to those forces than that. Their complete inability to fully take away what God created. And so this morning, my hope for you is if you're in this room and maybe you're in this room and you're like, you know what, Josh, like there's this, there's this struggle that I'm going through. There's this addiction that I really don't even want to get rid of because it's kind of fun, if I'm gonna be honest. Like I, I just prefer not to get rid of it. Maybe you're in this room and you're thinking like, ah, I'm contemplating this faith thing. Like I'm thinking about what faith might, might be, but there's so many things that are tied to being a Christian that I can't sign up for. That you're sitting in this room and you're surrounded by people who do this religious thing pretty well. And you're like, I'll never be there. I'll never be in a place where, where I really have impact. I should never be in a place of leadership. I don't, I'm really not bringing much to this table, guys. However you're sitting in this room, my hope for you is that this be a place, this be a church where we don't tell you how to behave, where we don't tell you what the right thing to do is, but we consistently and constantly point you to who God is and the character of God. Not because it's religious, not because it's an obligation, but because we believe as a church that when you are experiencing and considering the character of God, that your life will be a life that is responding to that. That your life would be a life of worship. Not because you've done the right thing, not because we put you in the right program we've created, but because we trust that God is that great. And we wanna consistently push you towards him. And there's so many reasons for you to feel like you shouldn't or you can't or you won't be able to approach God. And we wanna be a church that rips down those reasons so you feel the freedom that we have in Christ to approach the throne of God and say, just show me, God. This is me, show me. And that's my hope for you. We're gonna enter into a time of communion. So if you wanna get all the things ready, the little top part, little plastic, you peel that first. There you go, a little bread right there, just in case you want to know. If you have trouble, raise your hand. Someone will come help you. We can do that, so. Um, Rhonda's having trouble, so if you can help her get that, that'd be good. I love that we do communion every week, but there's a little bit of a, um, there's a risk to doing communion every week. It's any risk that you run into when you do something consistently is that we, it could be easy just to do something out of a rhythm rather than engaging what's happening. There's great value in communion, not just because it's a religious action, but there's great value in communion because it's a proclamation of something that happened. We remember what God did, but we're proclaiming the results it's having for us literally in this moment with the people who are in the room with you. And so today as we take this, and I'm gonna walk us through it in a second, I want you to consider the room you're in. I want you to consider the people that are sitting around you. 
And I want you to consider ways that you might not fix their problem, help them know God more, anything like that, but ways that you might just point them to Jesus. Ways that you might just show them the character of God. Because remember, you were made in his image. So when you're sitting with them at coffee, they're experiencing the presence of God. And just consider how you can do that. Because like I said before, we live in a world that's broken, a world that desires to tear down what God made beautiful. But because of this, because Jesus sat with his disciples at a Passover meal and he took the bread and he's like, I'm gonna redefine what's happening here. You know how you're God's covenant people? You still are, but this is what it means now. He took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body given for you. Let's take the bread. And then later in that meal, they're going through the process and and he grabs the cup and he's like, you guys ready? I'm gonna redefine this too. Again, you've always been God's chosen people. The, The Abrahamic covenant that you've existed under is a beautiful thing, but I have more to show you. Jesus even says something crazy. He's like, hey, there's one that's better than me. It's coming. Be ready. That's what we have on our wall. The promised Holy Spirit that we believe transforms our lives. And he said, this cup now, it represents a new covenant. My blood poured out for you so you can experience this. Let's take the cup. Lord, in many ways we are overwhelmed. We are overwhelmed by insecurities and anxieties, by work and family and stuff that's going on, by by feeling like we don't measure up. Lord, in a lot of ways, we're overwhelmed by your grace that we're hearing about even today, that we feel so undeserved, that so many things in our life feel like they're pushing on us. So God, I pray a prayer over this group of people that each of us might experience the reality that no matter what we're going through, no matter what we've done, no matter what our our mindset is or our inclination is, that you are always steadfast in your love for us. We know that this wouldn't be made possible except through the death, burial, and resurrection of your son. So we give thanks to for that. And we ask that in that truth that you might embolden us to more, maybe even, even how David did, more aggressively pursue ways that we can point people to you. We give these things to you in your name.